This episode of the Pursuit Podcast is presented by Fisher Skis. Bing bong. Yo, what is going on? You're listening to the Pursuit Podcast. I am your host, Adam X, Mr. Adam X. Full name's Adam Sourwine, for anyone who doesn't know how to say my last name. But many of you know me as just X, Adam X, Mr. Adam X. You're listening to Pursuit on the Auto Collective. Such a fun episode this week. My guest this week, one of my favorite athletes. Like, actually, I've been following him for a little bit. And I love having, I don't know. I think we can have anybody on the show. And that's my favorite part of having a show and having a platform. Is that I can bring on maybe lesser known skiers and tell their stories. And I don't mean that as a shot. But Carrie Smith should be a household name. Everyone should know who she is. She's a heli ski guide. We talk about going heli skiing and what that's like and and like managing your expectations. She's also a skipper, which I was unsure the difference between skipper and a captain. But I just found out the difference between a skipper and a captain is there is none. Skipper, captain, they're on the same tier, but skipper's usually cooler. She's a salmon fisher, a heli guide, a pilot. She lives in Alaska in a cool little cabin. She built a sauna. Just a superstar. Such a fun conversation. So I'm going to get right into that combo. And before we get into that conversation, I'm going to give a shout out to my sponsors right off the bat. None of this would be possible without our friends over at Alpine Vans. Head over to alpinevans.com. Check out what they have to offer. They have a quote builder, so it gives you an idea what you're getting into. Uh, They build four-season ski-optimized RVs, four-wheel drive sprinters. I mean, you've seen it in the 50 Project. Cody Townsend's van is an Alpine Vans. I mean, that's enough of a sales pitch in itself. If you're thinking about getting a van, head over to alpinevans.com. Use their quote builder. Check it out. They have an inventory. And actually, the one we had for a bit is for sale right now at like a super insane discount. And this thing is practical. It's tough. It's beautiful. It Again, go to alpinevans.com. Talk to our buddy Todd over there and, you know, tell him we sent you. My second sponsor this week woodchuck woodchuck.com woodchuck hard cider again guys humble beginnings they started from nothing they started making cider because they wanted hard cider so they started making it it's still made in vermont um they've got it all and my favorite part about their website again woodchuck.com you can buy hard cider and have it shipped to your door you can buy some merch if you want if you're looking for a job they've got career postings they've got where their cider house is and what they've got going on at their cider house. Uh, A whole list of all their ciders. Again, the Rosé, Perseco, Sangria, Amber, Granny Smith, a a Mimosa, Mimo, a Mimosa, Berry Snap, Blueberry. Here's the best part. You get a brunch box, you get the Bubbly Perseco, the Mimosa, the Paloma, and the Bellini. What else do you need? Shipped to your door, woodchuck.com. All right, let's enjoy this episode with Carrie Smith. Who is Carrie Smith to Carrie Smith? Um, well, I'm Carrie Smith, and I guess we can start out kind of basic, but I 
live in Alaska. I am a commercial fisherman. I also have created my life around the mountains and skiing and having access to the mountains. Um, so in that I've dabbled in a million different things, including guiding. Um, again, I mentioned my commercial fishing was a way to access free time uh, during winter. And yeah, and I've traveled a lot and seen a lot of places and my skis have taken me a lot of places, I guess. You didn't even mention that you're also like a ripping pro skier. You consider yourself a pro skier, right? Um, <laughs> I don't know if I do. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess technically like being a guide, I am professional, but also being pro, like I work with different brands, but, um, as far as my livelihood goes, I don't make a livelihood skiing, I guess. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm a pro skier. I debate that all the time. Like what, how do you define a pro skier? Is it like, that's your livelihood so that then you're a pro skier? Do you have to make money to be a pro skier? If you get a free pair of skis, are you a pro skier? If you get paid for one project, are you a pro skier? Yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't like title myself being a pro skier. I just think of myself as a skier, like an avid skier who's had the opportunity to work with brands and meet really cool people and go cool places. Do you think we should define being a pro skier? Like if you make more than $27,000 a year, you can be a pro skier. Should we just draw the line? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't really know what it means to be a pro skier these days. I don't know if, I don't know if you asked a hundred people if they would give you an answer that's the same. Like no one does, which I, that's no. why I think it's, it's the same thing with asking if you're a skier. Like I can ask my nephew if he's a skier, he's been once in his life, he's a skier. Right? Yeah. I suppose so. <laughs> skiing is an interesting, <laughs> skiing is an interesting thing because if you ask me if I'm a golfer, I say no. <laughs> right? Like I've golfed. I know how to golf. But I am right. not a. You don't identify as. I am golf. not a golfer. Yeah, but if you ask a casual recreational skier, who goes on one trip a year with his buddies or her buddies, they're a skier, or they're a snowboarder. Like they identify as that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's weird. I'm well, just having an epiphany. There's obviously like a massive spectrum of what that identity means, and that ranges from going once a year with your buddies on a trip to I think what you're talking about on the pro quote unquote pro end, um, which is creating a life for yourself where you are able to go skiing as much as you want. <laughs> it's we'll never, do, this is three hours later. We're just going to be talking about what a pro skier is. <laughs> and if you are one, well, your LinkedIn says you are one, so I'm going to say you are one. It is right on. listed as one of your jobs. We can stick with that, yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm Carrie Smith. I'm a skier. <laughs> 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 Carrie, 
Carrie Smith, pro skier, and we can only have pro skiers on the show. That's why I had to get her to admit that, that she is, in fact, a pro skier. I want to talk about, we got that out of the way. I want to talk about fishing. This can be a whole fishing podcast. You're a salmon fisherman. You own a boat. Correct. Like, those are two correct statements so far. Correct. How does one get into this? Are you born and raised on a boat? You're born with sea legs. What does this look like? Uh, that's one way. That's not the way I went. Um, I didn't have any family or relatives involved in fishing. My mom was a school teacher, and my dad ran the wastewater treatment plant. Um, but I got up to... I, I first heard of commercial fishing through friends who I used to, I guess, I ski raced with. And I had one of my good friends go up and get a job um, through these acquaintances. She called me up like two years later and was like, this is the most awesome thing ever. I'm going to help get you up here. You're going to love it. And so she helped get me my first job on a boat with some random old time mariner guy named Vic Kramer. And I went up there for the first time. I didn't even know what a gill netter was. I literally stepped onto the boat, not knowing how we were going to catch fish. I just um, want the record to show that I have no idea what that is also. <laughs> well, we were in the same boat. Then. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I stepped on to this 32 foot fiberglass gill netter, having absolutely no idea what I was doing. And we launched into the water and the first six hours I spent puking every 15 minutes uh, as we cool, learned cool, 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 cool. how to run the back deck. So I had no idea what any of the terminology was. I didn't know. I had, I had never been on a boat in the ocean, actually. So what makes, <laughs> what makes a human want to go do this? Like what? I, I'm just like, what are you doing before that? Like, what is Carrie pre saying yes to like going to be a fisherman? And like at that point, you didn't know it was gonna like be a career move. But what are you doing? I was just bumming around, really. Um, I, I guess I, I think I first went up to fishing when I was like 22 or 23, and I didn't go to college. So I decided after high school, I just wanted to go travel. And I worked summers. I grew up in government camp on Mount Hood. So I worked summers up here doing a million different things from waitressing to working at the gas station to, I don't know, stocking the general store to being salt bitch up on Palmer Snowfield. <laughs> and I saved up money and I just took it all and went traveling. Uh, mostly solo for months. And then I got a job in Salt Lake City, Utah. That was the first time I'd ever like skied powder. My widest ski underfoot was like 70 millimeters at that time. So that was a huge wake up for me. And I met so many amazing people there. Um, but yeah, I was kind of spending winters in Salt Lake and traveling during the fall and just working during the summer. 
And I knew that, I mean, the reason I had that rotation going was obviously for winters. I wanted to create winters for myself where I could had the freedom to go ski. And commercial fishing always sounded extremely appealing for the financial sense of it. I just always heard about people going up and making money and being able to ski all winter. Um, yeah, you're like a so, carny. Yeah. And funny story, actually, the guy that I got the job on the boat, um, I was sleeping in my bunk one night and I looked up and I saw a TGR sticker. I was like, oh man, that's weird. wonder what that is. And I asked the skipper, who's kind of this old, very traditional maritime guy, super strict, you know, everything has a certain way to be done. And he said that, um, I think Todd Jones had worked on that boat. Oh, wow. And that he had worked one or two years on there and that's how they got money to start TGR. <laughs> wow. So, so at that point, are you like, this is my calling? Like, do you know that first six hours you're puking your guts out? Do you think this is like, okay, I'm going to do this? Or are you like, this is not for me? Um, I'm pretty stubborn. And I think when people try to call me out, I just hold on tighter. <laughs> so, yeah, literally, I remember there was a guy on a boat across from us. I think he yelled over, like, how's the Alaskan weight loss plan working for you? <laughs> um, <laughs> and my skipper asked me, are you sure you want to do this? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this. So that was definitely the stubbornness in me being like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And now you own your own boat. Yeah, that first season after fishing up there, it was just the wildest thing I'd ever done, really. Like, it's hard to explain. Um, I think for me, too, I'd never been in the ocean and never, I didn't have that in my background at all. And so the stark contrast of that experience compared to everything else I'd ever done was really outstanding to me. So, yeah, I don't know. I think after that first year, I knew I wanted to get a boat. How long does it take you to get a boat? I crewed for five years, and then I've had my boat for three. I feel like that's not that long. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of average. Like, people do it in shorter, or some people takes longer. Some people never get a boat. They're just deckhands, or, they, or it's not for them. Is it as financially promising as you hoped it'd be? Yes. <laughs> oh, good. That's awesome. What did you name no, your is. boat? Um, I would say I'm extremely lucky I got into the fishery that I got into because I, I had no idea what I was getting into. I didn't even really choose where I got this job. And I happened to get into Bristol Bay, which has had the largest salmon return runs in history over the for the last few years like since i've been working in the fishery there's just been it's been really really good which is cool because not all alaskan fisheries are flourishing right now so you got to explain this to maybe my listeners get it but i don't 
So you work for, you're basically for hire from the fishery. So you have somewhere to sell your fish to at the end of the day. I, yeah. So in layman's terms, each individual boat in Bristol Bay works with a processor um, who you sell your fish to. So I partnered with a processor called Leader Creek Fisheries and I sell my fish to them and in exchange they help me get parts and food and you know provide services for the boat throughout the season. I'm so intrigued by this whole thing. Like <laughs> how many we will talk about skiing and other things I promise. But I think it's so refreshing to me because I think we hear commercial fishing and we think like bad, right? If we commercialize anything it's bad. But like Here's this small human on the other side of a computer screen who owns, who went fishing once, worked on a boat for five years, bought a boat, and now like has this little mini empire. And like that supports you and anybody else you care to help support. But like it's not this mass commercial thing, it's you and how many people are on your boat? I hire three people for most of the season. Same three people every year? Uh, no, I've had a mix of crew return and not return. So, Are you looking for crew? This is anyone listening. <laughs> you know, I don't ask my crew if they're coming back until March because Whoa. it's a little hard at the end of the year to think about. Do you live back. on the boat all year? How long's no, fishing no. season? You fishing come home every night. Fishing season for me is uh, – june and july i'll go in may a lot of times and do projects on the boat but it's a really short season bristol bay it's we spend maybe six weeks on the water and in those six weeks like we don't come back onto land so we're out for six weeks but that's the bulk of your season that's it what well you... and then the running the business part kind of takes all year like well for sure but the fishing part is six weeks yeah. The packing, the accounting, the shipping, the, all that. That's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. But what are you eating on the boat? Uh, I do Fresh a huge salmon Costco. every day? Well, we eat a lot of fish, yeah. Um, but I do a huge Costco order and I'll have food boxes. that my, I work with the processor and they'll deliver them out to me when we need more food. Best one pot meal. No, oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, fish is good when it's on the boat. In a pot? In a pot? I don't know. What do you even make in a pot? My crew cooks. I don't know. <laughs> one pot meal. If you had to make one meal for the rest of your life and eat it, what would your meal be? What would you eat? Oh, geez. I don't know. Uh, curry we do a lot of curry okay yeah as if i wouldn't be sick enough just add curry to the mix on the boat <laughs> what's the application process can anybody like are you more willing to just take anybody now because you were anybody at some point or are you very like they must know what they're doing you know i i think at the beginning when anybody's starting their own business or for me, this rang true at least. I didn't feel like I was going to get good crew because who would want to, 
what good crew would want to come work for a brand new skipper you know like i have no idea what i'm doing <laughs> so Same. who wants to come work for me if they're experienced and i hired totally green crew my first year uh and they were awesome it worked out great but also none of them came back <laughs> dang it and a lot of that was covid circumstantial but um I realized that if people are in their 30s and they haven't been fishing before, it's it's usually a bucket list thing. Not to say that someone can't become involved in the fishery in that time in their life, but usually if you don't already kind of have like a path that you're pursuing in your 30s, fishing's one of those things you kind of always wanted to do. And I found that, yeah, those people tend to stick around for a year and then leave. <laughs> so you're telling me I have no chance. I don't know. Is this like a bucket list or you want to get involved in the fishery? <laughs> I want to get paid. No, I don't, I don't think I could do yeah. it. I would want to come for like a week and be like, pretend I'm helping, but really I would just be in the way. That's yeah. what I want, want to do. There's people who do that. That would be my thing. <laughs> Like maybe the end of the season one time you can come for a week when it's like, yeah, I'm helping, but really I'm just like, and we're not like throwing bobbers in the water and hooks and worms here. No, we're, we're throwing a net, gill net. Do you ever feel bad about it? You know, in a larger picture, Bristol Bay is one of the well, most sustainable fisheries it's or recognized as. And it has extremely stringent regulations. And there's biologists who tell us when we can fish, where we can fish. And it's all for the sustainability sake of the fishery. Um, so in that sense, I feel really good about it. I feel like it is well managed and that we are doing our part, which is one of the reasons Bristol Bay had its historically the largest run of salmon that's ever returned last year. But um, on a very smaller level, sometimes when I look at a fish that is caught in the net and I can see it's just kind of swarming and suffering as I'm towing on it, I feel kind of bad. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't mean that with any ill. <laughs> I just I think it's fun to hear. Not fun, but like it's interesting to hear. Like, you know, you're but on the other hand, you're like providing food and like we need food and we need to eat and you're providing wealth for yourself and your family like I, I always think i am not a hunter by any means i am a fisherman not in your capacity fishing like freshwater for walleye and like maybe <laughs> eat one a year if i'm feeling it but lake erie's mercury content is like through the moon and they tell you not to eat a fish out of there anymore i still eat one a year i try to it's like i don't know but I get it because like I'm like filleting the fish and I'm like eating it and I'm like this is good I'm doing it right I'm like using everything I can but then on the other hand you're like oh man like there is some little weight there yeah I mean you're still I don't know you're still killing a life I guess but <laughs> and like I said I can I can feel for that sometimes but if I did have to say one thing about fisheries right it's like it's like farming. There's good farms and there's 
bad farms. Like there's really well run, uh, family owned, small organic farms that people feel good about eating from. And then there's huge crappy commercial farms and fishing's the same. Like there are really well run small scale operations that are doing it right. And there are operations that are, I guess, holding up all the stigma stigma for everybody else and doing it wrong. <laughs> and I do believe that Bristol Bay is one of those places that's doing it right. So doing it doing right. It. I like that. I like hearing that. Um, what is the name of your boat? The Deborah. The Deborah. Yep. F.V. Deborah. Did you name it? I did not. The boat came with that name. And, and you I can't thought... rename it, right? Or you can? You can. It's kind of expensive. Like, you've got to pay the Coast Guard a couple grand to rename the whole thing. So oh. Just... If it was free, what would you rename your boat to? I think I'd keep it the Deborah. I think it's I think it's a classy name. I like Deborah. I was if I had a I have like a small boat, I have an eighteen foot boat. But if I had a real boat, I would name it Dolores. Just kind of like, Yeah, like they got like a good old lady name. Like Yeah. Is that where Sal Salty Debbie Dolores. comes from? Yeah, so Salty Debbie is the name of my fish com fish telling company that I've launched and named after my boat, the Deborah. I we work in radio groups out fishing, and one of my radio members started calling me Debbie throughout <laughs> this season. Like, how's it going over there, Debbie? Like, what's that set looking like? You know. So, so when I was it. About, yeah, when I was thinking about names for the fish business, I just Salty Debbie's. If anyone needs fresh cut salmon, go to saltydebbie.com. You can order it. You can pay fifty bucks deposit. And then when it all comes in, it's another two fifty, and you get like twenty pounds of this shit fresh. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. See, boom. I'll send you the bill for that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Put on my tab. Yeah, I had another fishing question. And I remember it now. I'm all lost. All right, let's talk about skiing. We'll, we'll shift gears here. We might go back to fishing. You never know. Um, this is my hot question. It has no relevance to anything we've just talked about. How do you feel about BOA and ski boots? BOA? BOA system? Yeah, it's going in all the ski boots now. That's like the hot new, new thing. Yeah, it's all, every boot next year is going to have, every high-end boot will have a BOA offering. Well, but, my, I guess it might be kind of nice. It's kind of the, in change, you mean in the liner, right? Like BOA liner. No. The bottom two buckles are BOA. Oh, that's fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, K2 will have it. Uh, Solomon's got it. Atomic's got it. Fisher's got it. Um, I don't know other boot companies there are. that Scarpa's got them in like their F1s, but that doesn't count. I guess I just don't... I can't quite visualize exactly what this look like, looks like. Like, is it literally just a cable I'm going to pull on and it's going to cinch my... Yeah, the lower cuff. Like the, I don't know if I can pull tight enough to get the cuff. Well, you twist. I'd like it. You twist it. I don't know. I'm. T this is why we're asking. So you're anti-boa. I, I don't. I just don't have the. I don't have a grand conception of what this is going to look like. 
it's your bottom two buckles. Well, yeah, I see. There's a boa, and then there's a cable across, and then another one across. So then it cinches it all clean and nice. I you can be anti anti Carrie Smith is anti boa and boots. I am anti because sometimes I don't know that I want my toe and my middle buckle the same cinch, you know, and you're losing that. That is the first great rebuttal I've heard. The fine tuneness of being able to cinch your the buckle over your arch and your toe buckle, you know, that's. Yeah, because I arguably don't need a toe buckle. Me. Yeah. Like, I'm like, my fat toes can just be like, great. Like, just let them live and then, like, give me some cinching over my arch. Great. My performance, whether that boot's tight or not, isn't going to change. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't say exactly without really trying them out, but just. Oh, I already tweeted it. Carrie Smith is anti-boa in boots. All right, I'm taking the stance. I'm don't, anti-boa. Don't change. You can't anti-boa. Uh, you're a guide. Do you want to be a guide? From like the little research I've done, kind of seems like you don't really want to be a guide. You just kind of are a guide. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, I never pursued a career in guiding. <laughs> it sounds like you did, though. Well, <laughs> I actually... So... I got into guiding. Um, the first time I ever guided was in Iceland. And the reason I went to Iceland, I heard heard people go on these cool sailboat trips in Iceland and it looked magical. And <laughs> I was a ski bum. I was 22. I really wanted to go check it out, but I didn't have funds to just throw down on a sweet sailboat trip. Or sponsors who would do that for me at that. So I just contacted this company and asked if they wanted an intern, like a hut intern, you know, I don't know, anything. I was like, you guys want an intern? And they, I didn't hear anything back until three weeks before their season started. And they're like, actually, we could use you in three weeks if you want to come. So I quit my job at Snowbird and went to Iceland and i was expected to be the hut keeper at first like that was my interning job i was gonna do dishes and carry water and i remember the first time the first day we had clients in the hut and i at breakfast i did the dishes in like two minutes i mean i was i was speedy and i had all my stuff on i was like ready to go out the door and i remember the guide looking at me being like (laughs) you know what are you doing I was like I'm coming skiing (laughs) so I ended up tail guiding that year just because I don't know I was the hut keeper who kept coming on these trips with these clients and so they called me the tail guide and the next season I just ended up guiding like they just (laughs) I don't know (laughs) just but you would have taken all your classes. Did you have all your classes, all your courses? No, I had nothing. So I had nothing. <laughs> what about when you were guiding? We don't want to get anyone in trouble. But like, did you get all this stuff or did you just kind of figure it out along the way? Um, I did get, I got a woofer and an Abbey too. So I did get Something. That. Um, 
but yeah so when i was like lead guiding by myself i had those things but it wasn't it was really just it was just happenstance i guess and i uh took it up and same thing like i ended up working for this other guy who does really unique projects in like svalbard and different projects in iceland same thing i just essentially wanted to go up there and check it out and it's actually a funny story but i went up there he had hired me <laughs> and i remember staying at the house for the first week and he like didn't have any projects you know so this is actually the guy i don't know if you've heard of the solomon eclipse yeah you know, so this guy ran all the logistics for that in Svalbard. Okay. And he thought that after doing this project, there were going to be tons of clients like wanting to come up to Svalbard. And so he hired me. This is actually the best person ever. He's a really good friend of mine. But um, he didn't have anything. He had like no clients booked. He had nothing. And I showed up not knowing this guy at all at the time. And I remember staying a night in the guest room at their house and the first night someone knocks on the door and Steve answers and the guy says, sir, if you don't pay your electric bill, like we're going to shut off your electricity. <laughs> <laughs> so this is one of my dear friends that I'm going to go visit in Iceland and he's extremely successful running he does like logistics for billionaires now and makes specialized trips. And I don't know, he does all sorts of stuff, but <laughs> it was pretty funny. So that whole time in Svalbard, I just ended up getting a snowmobile from him and went out skiing every day. So it wasn't the job you had hoped for, but it, it worked out. It worked out exactly as I would have liked it. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get, yeah, but you didn't get paid, right? No, I didn't get paid, but you just went I got a free snowmobile to go rip around an Arctic archipelago for six weeks. Which yeah, was that, pretty cool. that counts. Do you still guide? So currently I'm a heli ski guide in Alaska for Black Ops Valdez. Um, a guiding job, which also came very randomly to me. I was dating somebody up there who worked as a ski guide and he tore his ACL a couple weeks into. Sounds like an opportunity here. Yeah. And <laughs> so they literally needed somebody like the next day who had guiding experience and I did. And I ended up guiding the rest of the season. And then last year was my second, I did a full season with them and I'm, this will be my third going back does that. it ever get old the guiding let's just say heli guiding because i have <laughs> so i have two i have a theory but i'll say it after you give your answer here heli guiding um you know it's funny right now this time of year i just keep thinking to myself like man i gotta take next year off of guiding so i have more time to do things i want to do um but you know what? The minute you're sitting in the front seat of the helicopter, getting to point wherever you want to go, it's a pretty cool feeling. Yeah, and getting paid. I mean, you might not and be getting rich, paid. but like you're getting paid. <laughs> Definitely not getting rich. Um, but you, I'm getting paid to 
fly people around. And yeah, overall, I don't know, there's a mix of like abilities of clients, but I'd say in a given year or season, I get to ski what I want to ski, which means that conditions are aligning, client abilities align. You know, there's a lot of things that have to align, but I get to ski what I want to ski four or five days a year in the helicopter, which is pretty sweet. <laughs> I would think so. What's your worst client? Like, is that <laughs> like, give me your worst client story. Ooh. <laughs> um, well, last year, the my first day, we're giving everybody the briefings in the parking lot and this guy just starts puking everywhere in the parking lot. And yeah, I just had to tell him that he can't get in the helicopter, which is. How does he handle it? He's pretty disappointed. He's like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like I'm good. He's trying to, you know, I don't know stand up look like he's okay and he's just pale white and like sweating profusely all over the place Ugh. um but i yeah i think he was just really hung over oh for sure shitty day to get hung over <laughs> yeah it's a bad bad choice our yeah. so my theory is that helicopter clients are worse than like a hut trip audience client i have a alternate theory i've never guided or have money to do either of those things so this is my outside looking in opinion or and theory. so my theory and my experience is that people who are really really wealthy are easy to work with because it doesn't matter to them if they get to go up this week or not, right? Like they've probably been on multiple heli ski trips. They know the, they know the game. They understand weather, and there's not refunds issued with your helicopter trip. You know, there's like certain stipulations, and you can use your hours, but it's a really big investment for a lot of people. So if you're super wealthy, it doesn't matter, and you can go again next year. If this is the trip that you and your buddy saved up for, for your, like, this is the trip of your lifetime and you're not able to go skiing, like you are, those clients are the worst to deal with. That's a great because, theory. I mean, it's not a theory. I mean, you, well, you're living theory. it. You're living <laughs> it. No, but that's a great point. And it's something that like, I see, I'm just thinking about the skiing and I'm like, man, I know that me and a group with a bunch of my idiot friends will probably ski better than a bunch of rich lawyers and doctors. But that same sentence, if we don't get to go, my group of friends are probably way shittier than like the rich guys who are just going to continue to drink scotch because they'll just go next week. Yeah. And that's the other thing is expectations. Like people come up and they think they want to ski this certain type of line and they think that they're, they're like, I'm this good. And I would like to do this and be on this face. And, um, 
those expectations of people who are actually good skiers are usually a lot more difficult to deal with than people who are intermediate, mediocre, advanced skiers. Um, and it can be very humbling, I guess. Alaska's just, it's different. It's steep. It's big. It can be, it's really intimidating. And as a, as a guide to try and get, to analyze how good people are and then get them down safely. <laughs> and I have a story about that. I, there's a ex perfect example of that. We had a week where there were a bunch of like ex Olympic medalists. I don't know what exactly they were, but they were really, really talented, good athletes. And one of our guides got to take them out. And then my group was kind of what you're talking about. Like they came in with expectations of the type of line they'd like to ski and thought that they were at a certain level. And we, I took them like, it's always a progression, right? You're always, you start on something really short and steep that maybe doesn't have a huge consequence. And then you're building up to something bigger. And so we started on the same progression as like the ex Olympic medalists. And the first run was super mellow, chill. It's like a warm up run. Second run, there was a really steep little top pitch with like, I don't know, a 10 foot cliff and a little chute you had to get around. And this was kind of the test for my group. <laughs> I washed three guys tomahawk and lose skis. And it was like, they were, they were humbled. And the rest of the day, you know, I, we diverted from the Olympic gold medalist path, but we did watch them land, like do a toe in on a really steep, big face and ski down it. And there was a Bergstrand at the bottom that was a mandatory error. Like they were really talented athletes and made it look really awesome. And my group is over on the other side, like trying to scramble down this tiny <laughs> section of rocks, like pissing their pants, you know, and looking over at the other face. And so I got in the helicopter with the pilot and I was like, hey, will you just like take us over to that face? Just do a flyby. Have you ever been listening to a podcast and think, wow, I could really use a nutrition tip right now? Well, you're in luck because it's time for the Pursuit Podcast Nutrition Tip of the Week, sponsored by our friends over at Muir Energy. Is caffeine worth the hype for endurance athletes? According to the International Society for Sports Nutrition, yes. Moderate doses of caffeine can support improved endurance through more efficient use of oxygen. You could feel these benefits in doses as small as 75 milligrams. That's less than a full cup of coffee. Luckily, every Mirror Energy caffeinated gel contains 90 milligrams of caffeine from an Herba Mate extract. Get the energy and endurance benefits without the jitter, without the side effects of coffee. Is it Herba Mate? Yerba Mate. That's not the point. Head over to mirrorenergy.com, use code out of bounds. Get yourself a variety pack. Don't even waste your time getting individuals. Get an energy gel variety 24 pack. All the flavors, they all taste amazing. Passion fruit pineapple banana. Are you kidding me? 
make a PB Mirror Energy sandwich. You will not regret this. Again, mirrorenergy.com, use code AUTOBOUNDS. Support the brands that support us. You guys like the show. You like listening. Uh, we love Mirror, and we hope you love it too. So go over, mirrorenergy.com, use code AUTOBOUNDS. Tell them we sent you. Write them a little note. Uh, they're a small business. They'll see the note. You know, energy gels that don't taste like butt. And when I say gels, literally, I make PBJs with these. Get rid of the J. There's no jelly here. PB Mirror Energies. They're so good. Pack a snack. Put it in your bag. Put it in your pocket. Make a PBJ. Use them inbounds, out of bounds, on the skin track. I love them because they actually taste good. MirrorEngie.com. Use code out of bounds. And we start flying over towards it. And my guys in the back are just waving their hands like, no, no, we can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) But I I think that is, I mean, that's life, right? Is just being humbled, whether we like it or not. But I, it is funny. I've skied a lot. I've skied a lot of like big lines, scary lines. Yeah. And it's not that I'm good. I'm just good enough to not get hurt. Right. Like, that's how I'm a good skier in my head. I mean, I can ski. I'm okay. But, like, a lot of my friends who haven't, like, done big stuff, they're way better skiers than me. But they've never been in these situations that it's like, no, 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 no. Like, there's not a lodge at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's a way to get down this safely if you aren't at that level or you're not doing that every day. Yeah, that consequence, I think, is different up there. And it's it's different than being a resort. It's, you know, a lot of people can ski a really short, steep pitch. But can they ski that super steep pitch for 3,000 feet? You know, it's like that added consequence makes it changes everything. <laughs> yeah, it's and I think that's I mean, that's one of my favorite parts of it. And I think I'm not fortunate, but I've traveled the country so much by myself and done so many of these big things by myself, which is stupid, but it's taught me to like, oh, you really, like you're the only person you can rely on and you're the only person that's going to get you out of here right now. So like having that mentality, I'm not telling anyone else to go do that, but like it's helped me a lot in like skiing things and then teaching my friends on like it's you it's on you like even if your friends are there to save you that's worst case like it's it's you and i'd rather it's also what i'm getting at is it's helped me with decision making of like not going out and skiing that gnarliest line like and like poorly i'll ski that mellow line and i'll slaughter it and like to me that's where i'm at as a skier and i'm cool with that well, and I think that takes, yeah, going out and knowing and understanding that limit for yourself. And I mean, I guess if we're bringing it back to heli clients, if this is your first time ever skiing in Alaska, this is your first time ever being, you know, you don't know, you don't know where that limit is. and You don't know, you can't have expectations of assuming it's going to be a certain way without having gone and done the pre-work kind of what you're talking about like 
really understanding what you're getting into. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's, I mean, it's got to be hard as a guide because you want to give them the best experience. But it's like, do you want to ski like intermediate lines that are just like bottomless and like, um, and you'll have the best time of your life? Or do you want to ski the scariest lines you've ever seen where you're just puckered, not having fun at all, and you might make it down? But like, you can't say that to them. Well, and as a guide, like I'm the one who has to watch them try to get down that right. scariest night of their life thinking like, like, dear God, please make it down. <laughs> Is there any, like, you don't know what you're getting until the morning of, right? No, you have no, I have no idea like who I'm going to ski with for the day. Like I took a, an expert backcountry skiing course at Mount Washington years ago and we got to the top. We were doing golf slides. We got to the top of the golf slides, and the girl we were with was like, "I haven't skied in ten years," and we're now we're already up. Like skinning's the easy part, and our guide was solo, and I was with him the day before, so I ended up being like the tail guide of just like, I'll just make sure that this human gets down. But it was like how, I don't know. I don't know how people have like this disregard for themselves, of like. I wouldn't put myself in that situation. I think they just don't even know or understand. <laughs> I guess. What's uh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I, I was just going to say, yeah. And that's partly what makes my mentality guiding is a thousand. It's a hundred percent different than my mentality when I'm skiing for me. And it's trying to monitor all those possible factors you know like people don't actually know their limits or know what they're getting into a lot of times and it's my job to determine where i think that limit is for them um and so skiing as a guide like i said my mentality is just so different than if i'm gonna go out and ski for myself do you think because you're a guide you put yourself in sketchier situations when you're not guiding. No, I would say it's probably opposite in that I feel like my personal progression as a skier has been put on hold a bit because of the guiding in ways, um, in ways I'm just more aware of the mountains too and how they're acting from guiding. Um, but yeah, I don't feel like I put myself in sketchier situations. Okay. I'm a guide. I just, I ask that cause I feel like you have to ski maybe so conservative all the time that when you get time to yourself, you're like, just throw everything out the window. But it sounds yeah. like you, you don't do that. Um, I guess part of the reason I don't do that is I have pretty, I've had some pretty gnarly knee injuries. So I, I feel like for me to really let go and be skiing hundred percent, I would probably need to do a lot more work in the gym preseason. <laughs> yeah. You and everyone else. Yeah. I feel um, like pro skiers who do that are just doing it for Instagram anyway. Like they didn't actually work out that. Right. Thing. They're like, here's my two workouts of the year so that I can post and say that I did the leg workout. It's like John Collinson. He does it. Michelle Parker takes it seriously. 
I don't think Cody used to, but now that he's doing this 50 project, he like has to take it seriously. Yeah. But like, and then like every actual racer, they take it seriously. But everyone else just hanging on, I think. Yeah. I'm definitely hanging on. Oh, I am hanging on to everything by like a thread. Like life, podcast, skiing, mountain biking. Pretty much everything in my life is holding on by a thread. And that's okay. Yeah. I feel yeah. Me too. It's like, oh, God. Really? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> it's all just like running away from me a million miles an hour. And I'm just trying to grasp onto it all. I think it's okay. I mean, you're a certified guide. That's cool. You started out fishing and never fishing and now own a boat. You're also a pilot, a private pilot. And you probably go commercial eventually, right? Is that a goal? I'd like to, um, commercial in the sense that I'd be able to fly around more like bush plane style. Yeah. Not like jet blue. No, I'm not going jet blue. How do you find the time? I feel like you got a lot of things that you don't really know how to do, but you keep ending up doing them. Yeah, me too. <laughs> like, I feel like, I feel like I have a lot of irons in the fire, <laughs> Um, and they're all just kind of like poking very lightly into the fire. Uh, no, I feel like I'm trying to juggle a lot. <laughs> if you had to pick one right now, which would you pick? I Let's take I really finances wanna... out of it. Well, I would really like to pursue flying. Like I'd like to spend more time getting better, being a better pilot. And it's something that it is one of the only things that I don't make money doing at this time. So it's literally just a, you know, a funnel into the black hole financially. And I said not to mention finances, but. <laughs> I meant <laughs> so to I, like alter your decision. Yeah. I mean, I tend to, I've tended to put that on the side a lot more because I am focused on things that are making me money right now. But if I didn't have to focus on those things, I think I'd like to spend more time flying and getting like becoming a better pilot. I think flying should be cooler than it is. It's not flying's pretty cool. I'm not like commercial flying. We all like that's dumb. Yeah, we get it. That's destination. But even I guess I just don't fly in cool places. But I don't know. I feel like something should like like you're flying. And maybe I'm just oversensitized or desensitized that I'm like, flying should be cooler. Have you flown in the small bush planes much? Uh, not much, but yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what to say. Maybe your pilots just weren't that cool, but like. Oh, no, they weren't. <laughs> um, No, I mean, just flying around in the mountains with your friends, looking at places to go land. You know, there's a yeah. There's that's a, probably cool. I haven't done that. I yeah, fly like around. A, it's bad. It's not cool where I fly. Yeah, where are you flying? Nebraska. Nebraska is the worst state <laughs> ever. I hate Nebraska so much. Uh, no, this is my fun flying story. I have photographed weddings for the last 15 years of my life. Um, actually, photographing one tomorrow as well. That's irrelevant, but. The bride was landing on a seaplane, like at the bay, and that was like how she was walking down the aisle. 
So I'm in the seaplane with the bride. The pilot lands in the wrong bay. Oops. So, like, she blows a head gasket, which I get. But I'm also like, hey, this dude's got to, like, get us back up there and down safely. So, like, so I was, like, trying to, like, take pictures and, like, make it pretty and ease the situation. But, like, she's, like, mother effing this dude who's our pilot. I'm like, we need him. Kind of smile. So that's my seaplane story. That's all I got. That's all I got. Uh, What is one thing everyone should know about you? One thing everyone should know about me. um, I am, well, people who know me already know this, but I am extremely unorganized and forgetful. Does that roll into your business as well? Uh, I can keep it. I'm one of those people who can, I actually work really well under stress and, you know, last minute deadlines. So I tend to wait last minute and then I can pull it all together. But I think it also has to do with having so many irons in the fire. I, I tend to take on way more than I can chew. And, um, it just, I just make myself do it. (laughs) Do you think that will ever change? God, I don't know. In some ways, I hope so a little bit. I, I don't know. That's, that's a mixed question. I think it's one of those things where our strongest characteristics are also our, our weaknesses. (laughs) And yeah, I, I do. I think that like biting off more than I can chew and taking on a lot has allowed me to have the life that I have. And, but it also is stressful. And I think I'd like to find some happy medium with that sometime. Like I hope at some point all those irons in the fire are a little more settled. Swords. They've become swords. swords. Become swords. Yes. <laughs> They're all going to become swords. And then there's going to be a beautiful rack of swords. Yes. I don't want to keep you too long. We've been chatting for a while here. Uh, I do have a couple more questions. Do you have a cabin in Alaska? Is that your, your place in Alaska? And then after you answer that, what is this sauna that you're building or is complete or like, what is happening here? So I do have a cabin in Alaska. That's where I call home right now. And I took my earnings from my first season fishing and went in on property up there. Um, but yeah, I kind of built it all from scratch. I had a partner I'd gone into it at first and then bought that out. And so the sauna thing was just, I had had some contact with Patagonia Workwear, actually primarily about fishing. And then COVID hit and everything kind of blew up, like all my projects and little things sort of evaporated. And I sent them a follow-up email like a year later 
asking if they were looking for content about anything. And they said they were. And so I had some friends who came up and helped photograph and kind of just, uh, yes, do the sauna. Build a sauna. <laughs> the sauna is built. The sauna is functioning. You can go take a sauna. If you come up to Alaska, you can, you can come sauna. What is life in Alaska? Like, do you have running water? Do you have electric? Are you roughing it? What does this cabin look like? I It's a dry cabin, so there is no running water. I haul water in, um, and then I have, like, a holding tank up in the loft that feeds a sink. So I have a, a sink. I can turn water, and, the you know, the faucet on, and the water comes out. But... <laughs> It's not endless supply of water, no. And there's an outhouse. Um, the shower situation is the sauna. So you can go sauna and rinse off. I feel like I'm grosser after a sauna, no? Well, that's why it's a wet sauna. Like, you, you pour water on yourself and shampoo. Like, you, you wash yourself. Okay. Yeah. I never thought about doing that. I just gross in a sauna, and then I'm usually gross. That's how I live my life. You don't, like, take a shower after you sauna? Sometimes. Depends what I got going on. Yeah, if you don't take a shower after you sauna, that is gross. <laughs> I'm gross. I no one here is arguing that. No listeners are arguing that. Like, anyone who's met me is like, yeah, he's gross. Yeah. Fact. <laughs> but you shower in the sauna. So you just dump water on yourself and then call yourself clean. Yeah, I mean, you shampoo and, like, soap and... Any other things you would do in a normal shower is just you have to pour the water on yourself. Pits and slits. That's all showers are. Pits and slits. Yeah, you take care of those. <laughs> do you have solar? No, I'm on the grid. So I have electricity. Oh, and nice. And Wi-Fi? And Wi-Fi. Wi I'm like fully. Dang, but no water. No water. On the but... grid, no water. Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot, right? Like heating is wood stove, so that's a huge project. There's no state plow that comes and does the driveway and stuff, so all snow <laughs> removal is self-inflicted. Um, <laughs> so it's definitely challenging, but I'm not like homesteading off the grid, no. But that's enough, I think. Like. You have enough luxuries that, like, you can live, like, a kind of normal life. But some things take work. Like, you got to chop wood. You got to clean the driveway. You got to, like, get your water. How much your water storage? It's a 100-gallon tank. No, that's pretty so, good. Yeah. I mean, when you only have a sink to do dishes. Well, then... plus a sauna. Yeah. Usually a sauna, I do snow melt. Okay. For your shower? Snow uh... melt. Actually, See, no. you might be dirtier than I am. No, you're, I mean, no, you're, <laughs> I don't know. I haven't saw it in a while, obviously. <laughs> uh, how much time do you spend there? Um, The last, so I've been up there the last few years, I guess since COVID is when I went up there. And I was there, I don't know, 10 months of the year. This year, I think I'm going to be out of the state for almost three months, but. Or including 
yeah, 22, 23, I'll, I'll have been gone for about three months. But the last few years I've spent, yeah, nine to 10 months there. How do you know how to do all this? You build it yourself? Yeah. You just threw another iron on the fire or what? Yeah. Yeah. I just, um, my parents built the house that I grew up in. Actually, you can see it here. The logs behind us. Uh, and my dad was definitely a jack of all trades. He did everything. He was a handyman. He could weld. He carpentry. I grew up in a house that was being built, you know, as I was living in it when I was a kid. And it's not that I really learned a ton of skills from my parents. Like, I think I was too much of a kid to really want to learn the skills, but it was definitely inspiring. And so I think just having that inspiration, I always wanted or thought that I could do something like that. But the actual skills really came from YouTube. It's so amazing. Like I, some of the best advice I've ever gotten was from my buddy's dad, who is, sounds like your dad, like just jack of all trades. Like he can weld, he could build a house, he could do drywall, he could fix the car. And I remember I was like 15 and I was like, Dan, how do you know? How do you know how to do all this stuff? And he was like, think of, this is like kind of offensive, but it's also not because it's like, it's a good educational piece here. <laughs> but it's, I was like, Dan, how do you know how to do all this stuff? He's like, think of the plumber, think of the roofer, the welder, the handyman, you know, your uncle who's probably a, the handyman. Who drives. He's like, what do they all have in common? I'm like, I, dude, I don't know. They're all morons. <laughs> And he's like, and you're a moron too. And I was like, he's telling me I can do this. Like, but I've, it's always held true in my brain of like, it's not rocket science. Like, yeah, you fail and you figure it out. But like wood is wood. Like you manipulate it. You, if you cut it, it's going to be cut in half. And like, if you put it through a planer, like you're going to, it's kind of common sense, but it's always stuck with me of like, you're a moron. You can do this. And yeah, and you too. Everyone can do it. Like I really do. It's like you're saying. It's not. It's not rocket science. Like, it's it's really pretty basic when you just start to break it down. And I think most people get stopped by not starting. Right. Hundred percent. Are scared to. They just. It's so hard to fathom creating something in its entirety, and so you just don't start. But if you do start, you realize it's just all these little steps and it's just about figuring out each little step at a time. It's not difficult. No. It's just doing it. It's just do it's it's having the stupidity to think you can do it and then doing it. Maybe not stupid, yeah. but like I, I like to say stubbornness, but stupidity works. I too. say stupidity for myself. But I do think so many people are afraid to fail. That they like won't do it. Even like changing the oil in their car at this point. Yeah. People are like, I don't know how to do that. And I'm like, couldn't be an easier process. Like it's one bolt. It's one bolt. Like yeah. couldn't be easier. But they're so scared to even start that they just won't do it. And yeah. It's but then they're like, 
I don't know, running finance for like Gatorade. And I'm like, you can do that? Like that is something that just falls into your lap? Like no way. So I don't know. It's it's an interesting yeah, no, thing. I think that our, yeah, our personal views on what we're capable of or what, yeah, what our expectations are can hold us back for sure. Yeah, it's always, for me, it's, if you're going to fail, fail while trying. Yeah. So, like, figure it out. At least try. Like, if the end game, we'll just talk about cars, is, like, taking it to the mechanic, why not, like, bust in there a little bit and try to fix it? And then, if you fail miserably, then take it to the mechanic. But, like, usually, with YouTube and the internet, you can figure it out. Totally. I'm just coaching myself because my Prius is broken and I can't figure you can it do out. It. <laughs> oh, I've been in it for the last two days. I can't. It's too computer. I'm like, ah, like if it was just a carb, I'd be okay. Yeah. But I got this. Um, if you could play bass in any band, what band would it be, and where would the concert be? Bass, like the bass guitar. Yeah. I don't. Know, I just picked an Ooh. instrument. Bass seems yeah. fine. Yeah, I'd like to play ba- bass. Um. Who would I play bass for? Gosh, I don't know. Uh, I'm like looking at my phone for music artists right now. But I think I would, since I'm going to Iceland soon, I'd like to play in Reykjavik in Iceland on a stage up there in front of front of a bunch of Icelandic ragers. What? Um, what band though? What band? Shit. That's the key. <laughs> I mean, literally, the first band that comes to mind is Avit Brothers, but that doesn't—that's not really like a grungy. Yeah, it's not like. Ah. I mean, that—that'd be great, though. That would be fine. I mean, they're all fine. It's your answer. There are no wrong it's answers. Yeah, I'd like something a little more grungy, though. Like, uh, yeah. I don't yeah, know. like I want to play like live band for like Dr. Dre and Snoop and have like yeah. a really heavy baseline. But I had time to think about this, so that's cheating. But like yeah, something like just bad, like maybe badass background for Beyonce album or something, you know? Yeah, like, that would slap. Yeah. But like you got to do it at like Red Rocks and then hopefully the cameraman finds you and like Beyonce is obviously Beyonce, but then they're just like, you're just like, ah, like getting well, after I was, it. I was thinking like deep grungy underground bar in, in Reykjavik. That would be cool too. Yeah. That counts. I mean they all count. It's your it's your answer. Popcorn or M Ms. What's that? As I feel I'm kinda grungy right now, so I think we're going like dark. Every time I hear grungy, I just think Nirvana. That's like all (laughs) it's just Nirvana. That's it. Yeah, I'd like to play bass for Nirvana in a dark grungy basement. Yeah, same. That's my vibe right now. I'm for it. Popcorn or M Ms? Popcorn. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Morning or night? Night. Weirdest food you've ever eaten? Mm, grasshoppers. Gosh, dog liver on a kebab. Okay, yeah. that's a good. That's a good one. Someone's gonna cancel you for that. Uh, what is your cell phone wallpaper? It's a background of a mountain. <laughs> which mountain? I don't know which mountain. It's just okay. a image from from guiding from heli skiing. Okay, so it's your image, though. It's my image, yeah. Favorite ski of all time? 
Right now I'm on the Forefront Renegade and it's awesome. 184 centimeter. That's your favorite of all time though? All time? I don't know. This I doesn't mean, have to be this... a sponsor plug. This is, could be like, this it's could even not... be a ski. No, no, no. This could be even a ski that like you never even owned. Like when you were growing up, like, you know, I always think of like the Volant Machete. Like that was like, I never owned it. I never even skied it, but that has like the coolest ski of like all time. I skied on some pretty gnarly, like Dina Star. I don't even know what they were is the thing. Like, um, gosh, what were those called? They were huge. They were just boards. They were like 190. My friend, so it's when I first arrived in Utah. Like I didn't have anything that was over 70 millimeters yeah, underfoot. Like, take this. And I just got given these fucking massive boards, planks, you know, just like no camber just <laughs> and people thought i was a great skier because i would go straight down everything and the truth was i just couldn't, couldn't turn, turn these no side cut <laughs> yeah uh if you were a professional wrestler what would your theme song be now you got me on nirvana so <laughs> which song you don't have to name one was it like come as you are or something that would be good Cause that's got like the little ding 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 ding. That would be a good. Cause you gotta give people time to react when they hear it and be like, What would your wrestling name be? I guess it'd probably be Salty Debbie. If you, I kind of asked this question already. We already answered it, kind of. You said curry. Uh, uh, favorite sandwich. Uh, I God, I don't know turkey. Shit, I don't know. <laughs> you have to <laughs> know. Beef. Roast beef. Roast beef. Yeah. Have you ever had roast beef on whack? Ooh, how about pastrami? I like pastrami. I don't. You're asking me the answer to your question. <laughs> Coffee or I'm tea? Pastrami. Uh, hoppy or hoppy. Coffee or tea? Oh, I thought you said hoppy or wheat. <laughs> Oh, hoppy or wheat? Also a question. Hoppy. Hoppy. Coffee, Coffee or tea? Favorite TV Coffee. show? Favorite TV show. Right now I'm watching Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Whoa. With Melissa Joan Hart? I don't know. Is that what it is? It's like the Netflix series. Melissa oh, Sweeney's no. This is like it. old. I'm old. No, uh, I'm watching like new on Netflix right now. Oh, yeah. Okay. Favorite book? Favorite book. Well, again, right now I'm reading this book called Wager with the Wind. And it's the Don Sheldon story of aviation in Alaska. It's pretty good. What's the book that you recommend to people if they're like, I want to get into reading? The book I recommend to people. Because that, I feel, that's like the answer to like your favorite book. Like, there's books I'm reading, and then there's, like, this is the book that I recommend to people. Um, geez, I don't know. I mean, sorry. That's fine. You... Phone dinging. I thought I turned it off, but it's on the computer still. <laughs> it's fine for me. Okay, who is it? Call oh, them out. Gosh, who is it? I don't know, but I can't turn off the Wi-Fi, otherwise we're done. So. We'll, start, we'll start calling them out. Uh, Tom Sawyer. 
Okay. This is Tom Sawyer. I love that book. All right. Or like, or yeah, T Adventures Huckleberry Finn. Like it's, those are those are classics. They are classics. I don't know if I'd recommend them to somebody though. Or my only May Amelia was also a favorite as a kid. It's this tomboy girl in overalls who just runs around in the woods. All right, I like that. Sounds like Tom Sawyer, but just female version. Yeah, kind of it is. <laughs> I like it. Uh, hidden talent. Hidden talent. <laughs> Stumped. Stumped. Yeah, geez. I don't know that many of my talents are hidden. They're all pretty visual. Um, but I'm really good at squeezing into small places. Okay. Like I squeezed out a six inch by 18 inch sauna window this week. Whoa. Why? Uh, because the hut keeper accidentally locked us in the sauna. Whoa. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. Uh, best pocket snack. Ooh, nuts. Which Salty kind? Nuts. Salty peanuts? Salty. Oh, a peanut. I was thinking you were going to be an almond person. Mm, I like peanuts. All right. A lot of allergies, though. A lot of allergies. <laughs> it's not a good snack. <laughs> not a good snack for people. With allergies. With allergies. For the weak. The weak bloodline people. Um, let's talk about cast a little bit. You're still working with cast? Still doing some stuff with cast? This is the first year I've... Uh, work with them. Oh, okay. So yes. Yeah. I just got on this hut trip. I just got out of this hut trip with them, out of the sauna actually with them. Perfect. How'd they work yeah. for you? I have to write a review the on cast, them. The cast system is awesome. This is it's really the first year that I've fully used it and there's just a difference between a pin binding ski setup like how it skis and having a full binding, like it makes the ski ski differently, you know? And so being able to have a full binding is awesome. Um, I actually just talked to, or I was on the trip with Lars and Silas and Lars mentioned making a removable heel piece so that you could switch your, your bindings to all your skis. So it's, a huge quiver killer and i'm got pretty stoked about that actually yeah it will be i'm interested in the development of it all um i have a set it hasn't snowed here at all so but i've skied them before <laughs> uh definitely a little heavier for anyone who's like it's heavier you're carrying a pivot um toe in your pocket and or backpack and you're carrying a pivot heel up that hill but like that's the only downfall that I've seen. This isn't an ad for them. I have to write a full review, and I will write a full review for them. Um, but it's really, like, interesting system. I I really liked it. Um, I mean, I think, right, the fact about it being a little heavier is just go skiing with other people who have a cast set up, and then you guys are all on. <laughs> yeah, but I got a bunch of schemos, and I'm already the fat, slow one, so then I'm like, dang it. Yeah, you got to change like, crowds. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the wrong. That is that is the answer right there. Change your You're crowd. You're in the wrong crowd. <laughs> change your crowd. 
Um, no, I really, I really enjoyed them. Uh, they definitely, they get a little iced up sometimes, and it sucks if you've got to do a million transitions during the day, but that sucks anyways. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's not supposed to be fast, right? It's supposed to enhance your experience going downhill, and I'd say that it, it does. It's really nice being able to ski on a, a full ski. And let's talk about Forefront a little bit. Uh, we mentioned them. What ski are you on? I'm on the 184 Renegade. And what is that underfoot? 122. Whoa. See, yeah. you can't complain about your life ever. If that's your daily, like you're just on a 122. I mean, if you're heli guiding in Alaska, you try not to ski tracks. Whoa. <laughs> is there anything wider? What's the next... Yeah. That's it, right? Like that's not in not in forefront. Um, I actually usually I really liked the MSP ninety nine. That was kind of my what really sold me on their skis. I really enjoyed skiing that. And but yeah, I don't know. I just tried the Renegades last year for the first time, and in fresh snow, if you have good snow conditions, they are so much fun they're nimble they're stable they're yeah yeah they're not made for groomers no no 122 underfoot that's not i want for... a reason in my life to own a 122 other than the fact that i can get one yeah if you're just getting like two powder runs at the resort before it's you know Man, sliced up it's what not, a life what a life um what else you want to talk about? Anything else? You mad about anything? Am I mad about anything? You gotta be mad about something. What's like pissing you off these days? Uh oh. Well, I do have one thing, but I don't know if we should talk about you it. You don't have to bring it up. <laughs> we'll just beep it out the whole time and people will be like, What? And then I'll just I'll do a long beep and then I'll be like, Yeah, I think dogs should vote too. <laughs> And that's how we'll end that sentence. We'll be like, what just happened? Um, yeah. <laughs> just, you know, uh, general trends in ski, in like trends in ski culture and kind of piss me off. Yeah, I get it. Like trending uh, things. No, I get it. I think I know where you're going, kind of. And, like, it's... For some people, it's a necessary evil. Like, they... You have to keep up with trends or you get lost, like, in the algorithm. So I think a lot of athletes have to do that. I'm not defending them. I'm not... But, like, I feel it. And, like, we do it on the network, on the collective. Like, we have to. That's our job is to promote things and, like... If our social gets buried because we didn't follow use a trending sound, then like no one hears this episode, right? So maybe that's not where you're going, but it is hard. And it's like you want to be as authentic as you can. And sometimes being authentic doesn't reward you on the internet. And that sucks ass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, right? I mean, that's you don't have to say names. We don't have to, like, there's so much out there that, like, 
there's so many like professional skiers who also fall into this influencer category and you're like the fuck did they post today and you're like ah bullshit but like i don't know they're getting paid and we're not so maybe we're wrong I mean, yeah, I guess I'll I'll just say it. We can cut it out if we need to. But <laughs> You don't have to. I'll say it. It's frustrating to me that um like being female or trying to highlight female skiers right now is such a buzz. Like in such a it's you, such a like you don't think it feels authentic. I I think in a I don't I'm really forgetting all sorts of diverse and feminine and people out in the backcountry and doing things. Um, but I, yeah, I think that there's something still missing. Like I told my friend this all the time, you know, when we're really all totally equal and have equality, I don't have to put on a pitch deck that it's highlighting female skiers or, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to label that. Right, it's just a cool project regarding regardless yeah, of Yeah, it's just a cool project. Period. Like you don't have to point out. Do you think I don't think that's bad. I think you can say that. I don't think we um do you think it has to go this way? And I can be wrong. I'm blonde hair, blue-eyed white guy. Like I've been wrong a lot. Do you think it needs to be this way for let's say two more years? so that we can finally get there like do we do brands need to like super focus and highlight on females because they're female so that we can get to a point where it's just like oh who cares if they're female it's a cool project i mean yeah that's what some people would say um and i can be wrong yeah, that's what I guess part of the argument would be, and it, and I guess that is kind of like the, the trend right now is that it's something that has to be highlighted in order to, eventually make its way just into, mainstream, I guess. But um, I don't know. It all. It just. I wish. I guess I wish we were already there. Like I wish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. Well, if the world was that oh, easy, like, yeah. I just, I never understood, like, women are always on this pedestal, right? In everything, whether that's good or bad. But, like, we put you on covers of magazines, half naked, and, like, it's all this thing, right? Until it's like, oh, here's a female doing something insane or super rad or the same exact thing, but then no one cares. It's like a really, or not that no one cares. It doesn't get promoted. It doesn't get shown. It doesn't get a budget. And it's like, I'll never understand it. And I guess for me, it's like, I don't, I don't think that, I mean, physically men and women are not created equal. Like we are not the same. We're not the same bodies. We're not overall speaking like, yeah, we're not made to do the same type of thing. And I hope that like women getting more of a stand is not 
just so that they can try to do the same things that men are doing. Like, I would like to think that women can be recognized for doing something that we're naturally good at or different. Like, I don't think that we need to be doing the same thing as the men. And I think that there's a lot of space to explore that. Um, and that could be like how certain women have created their lifestyles and looking at people's stories um, in skiing, you know, I think that they're really beautiful women skiers and it doesn't necessarily mean they have to huck off 60 foot cliffs to have a space. Like I don't, yeah, I just, I hope that there's, we can explore that more. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to think I agree with you. Um, I think we're saying the same thing. Again, my opinion is always like, I grew up in a different, I grew up, blonde hair blue-eyed male like i always had opportunities if i sent a pitch deck they looked at it and then told me no um but like at least they looked at it um i do think and maybe i'm wrong and maybe this is a hot take but that the only way we'll see change right now is if all these brands highlight it and then hopefully in two years and two years is like a long shot, right? Like two years is not that much time. Then it won't matter. But like until then, until they, you know, until we have these these Nexus films where it's just like, oh, look at this. Right now the narrative is like, look at this female ski film that's amazing. But hopefully in two years it's like, look at this badass ski film. And then you watch it and you're like, holy shit, that was all female. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. And yeah. And again, I it just hopefully just because it's good, because it has amazing right. cinematography, because it has an awesome storyline, because it has good skiing, because it's it's just good. You know, it can be interesting and unique and uh something that makes people timeless, you know. Um Yeah, and not, not just, just be showcasing women. Not just because <laughs> featuring all female athletes yeah like let's just make a cool beautiful aesthetic story and imagery and visuals and have talented athletes in there like do you think we can get there uh yeah i think we're gonna move past where we're at i don't think we'll be stuck in this forever like i hope not <clears throat> excuse me i really do like i hope i don't know i i had celeste pomerantz on last week and she and she said kind of she said i don't want to just be the girl in the ski film i just want to be another skier in the film yeah and you're like and like for me i can't relate to that i have no idea but it's i can relate to what she's saying and understand how she feels or at least telling me how she feels. And you're like, yeah, I didn't think of her. I don't know if you saw it wavy too, but like, I didn't think of her as just like the girl that they had to bring in. She was just like a ripping skier. And then the story ended up really being a lot about her and her journey, which I really liked, but whether that been, I don't think Nikolai was like, I have to have a female role here. 
Yeah. And maybe I'm wrong, but. Yeah, I hope that at some point, right, it's just like, oh, you get to go on cool trips because you're an awesome asset in the mountains and you have a good attitude and you can hold yourself and understand your limits and and rip and and that can be enough and it's like yeah Yeah, not if you're male or female you're way more qualified in any situation in skiing than i am yeah like i'd like to think that i'm a good team player to have on any trip like i i don't know doesn't I, I'm not hucking 60 foot cliffs, but like, I'd like to think that I can hang out with people who are and still have a space for myself and be able to contribute, you know, to the overall team and also be able to ski awesome lines and make it look good. Yeah. There's not many 60 foot cliffs that I can't ski around. I can ski around all of them. Yeah. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to say I can ski around all of them, but like most of them. I can ski around them pretty okay. And, like, yeah. you got to have a crash reel. That's, like, my pitch. It's like, you need a crash reel? Bring me on your hut trip. Got you. <laughs> your crash reel man. <laughs> I got this. Uh, no, I agree with you, and I'm glad you said it, because I think the industry thinks they're doing good by it, right? Like, they're trying. Yeah. Um, I just think it sucks that they have to try well and i just want to challenge all females to step up and like don't just use the fact that you're female to apply for something like really make it interesting and make it unique and make it good like i think that's important too right yeah i don't care what the story i don't care what the what the person is i want to know the story if you did a great document if ESPN did a 30 for 30 on bowling. I'd be like, holy shit. Did you see this bowling documentary? It's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like 30 for 30 is like a great, I could care less about professional sports in that, in that realm. But like they could tell me about like the 1967 baseball game. And I'd be like, I care about baseball right now. Cause it's yeah. just great storytelling. Exactly. So yeah, and step again, up. Like- yeah, like I I think that the industry is giving a chance right now, which is really cool and it is that is what's happening and again, I just want to encourage any women who are out there taking advantage of it to not only take advantage of it because they might pick you because you're female but really have a good like do it well, you know, like Yeah. I like it. I'm glad you said it um, because I cannot disagree with you in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I have maybe two more questions. What is the difference between a skipper and a captain? They're the same. It's the same. Why does skipper sound like... I feel like captain is like you got your captain hat. Skipper, that sounds like a sidekick. Yeah, maybe they're like your two alternative... uh characters you know like the skips skips is the kind of lackadaisical comes out maybe a little little tipsy and captain is okay so you you're know, a skipper. real serious top hat guy you're a skipper really <laughs> <laughs> how do you know 
I'm speculating. What's the person <laughs> under the skipper? First mate. First mate, but I guess on the boat I work on, I, you have a deck boss, but we all kind of work together. We're pretty, pretty equal. Give me the tiers. Skipper, deck boss, peasants. Swab. Peasants. Swab. Swab? Yeah, swab. <laughs> all right. S spell swab. S-W-A-B. I think that's how it's spelled. Swab. That's just that's it. But I'm saying it, that's just swab. Okay. Yeah. Swab. Great. Um, we went long. That's all right. What do you, speaking of events or projects, are you pitching something? Do you have something? Are you filming for something this year? Do you have an idea? Can you not say anything? What can we look forward to from you? Um, I would love to be doing more filming this year. I've had a couple different people call me up about projects. Um, guiding is really over overshadows everything right now. And I have had calls about projects, which makes me want to take more time off next year. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but I would, you know, I guess in the really three, four year realm, I would really like to do a project. I've had the, the girls who helped me do the Patagonia workwear stuff did a lot of filming with me in like last February, some stuff with the plane and a lot of cabin building. And I would really like to follow through on a larger project with those guys at some point. Um, yeah, I just, it takes taking one of the irons out of the fire. Yeah, it's a hard thing, but I think you have the story. I think, like, you you know, that opening scene of you, like, chopping wood at, like, the thing, at the, at the cabin, and then, like, you go fishing for a little bit, and then it's, like, all in preparation for, like, this banger season, and then you got to have a bunch of failures and disappointments in the middle, and then it all comes full circle. This, there it is. I'd like to think I could think of a more interesting shot than chopping wood. <laughs> no, it's got to be the chopping wood shot. It has to be. Like the most cliche things. Yeah, but it's too easy. It's how it starts. It has to start like that. Yeah. No, I'd like to think that I've, I am creating a space that I can access the mountains and invite other people to go on adventures with and create that space and that opportunity and i would like to share that more in the next three four years now that it's kind of all coming together and that's kind of that's yeah that's my bigger picture goal is to start sharing that more and my last question for you best advice anyone's ever given you Uh, again, I don't know. The first thing that came to my head was pedal to the metal. That's it. That and can be out, it. Throttle out. Like throttle out. That's it. Best advice: When in doubt, throttle out. When in doubt, throttle out. Carrie, thank you for your time. Uh, we went a little longer than we had planned, but it's okay. We had we had no time, no real time limit. Where can people follow your adventures? Uh, where can they hire you as a guide? Where can they buy your fish? Mm. You can follow me on Instagram at Carrie.Smith. 
K-E-R-E-E dot Smith, S-M-I-T-H. And links to everything are in there. You can find my Salty Debbie website, which is where I sell my salmon. And yeah, follow me there. Wonderful. Um, people to thank? You want to thank anybody? This is like your your speech. You don't have to. <laughs> All right. Well, I would like to thank my sponsors, uh, Forefront, for keeping me on for these years, even though I have, yeah, no idea what I'm doing next. <laughs> and yeah, just all the cool people I've been able to meet and companies have given me opportunities, Black Ops, companies in Iceland. Uh, yeah. I'm a, thanks. Thanks Love to my it. neighbor. <laughs> Shout out to the neighbor. Um, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate Absolutely. It.